Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Well, it's good to be with you. I've been absent the past couple weeks from being with you in person, but I have been online watching and it's been great to have that luxury to be there. Uh, this punch was COVID. This punch was the sinus infection that immediately followed it. So um, I'm glad to be alive and well. Um, thank you. <laughs> you know, I had that scare Friday evening. I ran a fever of 100, and, 100 odd and I called Craig and I'm like, all right, Craig, here's the deal. I got a fever. I'm hoping I can pray it away and I'll be fine for Sunday. If I'm not, on a scale of one to 10, how inconvenient it is for you to preach Sunday? He goes, oh, it's a one. I'm like, you're the best. And so... I woke up the next morning, took a COVID test, and sure enough, I'm not immune, and they're not going to make the next vaccine off my DNA, which I thought was going to happen, because I've evaded it for three years, but so thank you to Craig for teaching. Thanks for Pastor Anthony for teaching last week. He was just so helpful, and he called me Friday. He goes, you good enough to preach this weekend? I said, well, you can tell me on Monday, right? Like, we'll figure out how I did today, but uh, it's so good to be part of a community that actually can take care of things. We celebrated three years' experience last week, and it was actually really cool to watch it from home executed well. You know, it's just, it's a good gift to have. Because health is a gift, isn't it? We forget that. I forgot it. I didn't realize how big of a deal COVID was, honestly. You know, I was like, ah, it's still bad, but is it still real? It's real. And uh, when you're alone and you're a people person for 11, 12 days, it does bad things to your head. No one told me how dark of a place you can go to when you have COVID. And I told someone that, they're like, oh yeah. <laughs> so if you get COVID and you go in a dark place, call me. I'll talk to you. I'll be with you. We'll, we'll commiserate. But today I want to bring a message. And then we're going to talk about a question that was asked in that culture. And it was, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You asked that question over the past couple of weeks? We made it through another political season, right? Another voting week. And... Uh, People were using language like dangerous, if this, then this, and gets all of us uneasy. I was behind a car that had a bumper sticker of a candidate on it, and you know, whether it was Oz or Fetterman, I'll let you decide as you're driving behind someone that has a bumper sticker on it, do you find yourself thankful to be behind that vehicle, or do you feel like ramming that vehicle? You know, it could go either way, right? You're just kind of, Jesus, give me restraint, (laughs) And so we had to navigate another season where a lot of folks I saw on social media, they said, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I live in PA. And someone else said, I'm so thankful for PA. And so regardless of how you feel today, guess what? You're with somebody that needs to be loved and encouraged today. Some people are positive and hopeful. Others are fearful. And we have work to do as a church community to rise above the politics, to rise above the things that divide us, and we have a call to love one another. And unfortunately, Jesus doesn't give us much wiggle room on who we get to choose to love, does he? What's the call for God's kingdom culture in the midst of cancel culture? One vote, one decision, one post, and we can just cancel someone out. But does kingdom culture demand us to do that? No, you read a text this morning, and I don't like a whole lot. It says, love your enemies, right? Let's revisit it. It says, you have heard, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Look what he calls us to do. He says, pray for those who are, pray for those who are different than you, are mean to you, I'll persecute you. Oh, persecuting means to put a target on you, to hunt you, to pressure you, to torment you. That's what persecute means. It would be hard enough if it was just those that we didn't agree with. But he says we need to love those that persecute us. It's not easy or natural to do, but you know what? It says a lot about you when you can do that. Because not only does it say a lot about you, it says who your father is. What a testimony for you to love an enemy. That's so unnatural. That's a testimony to God. Who does that? Well, God's children does. That's why Jesus says in that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. When we're in the midst of people that we don't quite agree with, there's a couple natural responses, right? We have fight, like, let's go. We have flight, let's go. <laughs> but Jesus says fruit is another option. Option C is a little bit difficult. Option C is fruit, like that Galatians 5.22 list you hear me say way too often, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, self-what? Self-control. And so that's a different kind of fruit. You know, an orange tree doesn't focus on being a, producing an orange, does it? An apple tree doesn't work real hard to strain out an apple. It spreads its leaves and says, son, come fill me up. It sends its roots down and looks for water and nutrients. So in fact, the more we focus on God, the better off we're going to be and the better fruit we're going to have. Because if I focus on loving somebody I don't like, man, that's hard. That's real hard. If I make a list of why I don't like you, Loving's not very, not very easy. In fact, it's so natural for me to persecute and, and fight someone back. I Googled this. Um, if someone punches you, what should you do? Look at what the autofill was. <laughs> Maybe that says something about my browsing history, but that's what came up in my autofill. If someone punches you, can you shoot them? Can you stab them? Can you sue them? Can you punch them back? Can you press charges? Forgive them isn't even on the list. Love them isn't on the list. That's Google. That's right. You'd think it would give you something hopeful. This is the natural response. We know the natural response. But again, let's not focus on liking everyone. Maybe we need to focus on loving them. Because when I focus on liking you, I'm going to chick and choose who I like. I want people that are comfortable like me, that nod their head like me, vote like me, talk like me. But when I focus on loving people, because God calls me to love them, and not because I just have to, but because God loves them. And the hope of the world is going to be through love, not through might. And so when he tells me to love them, if I say, who can I love today? It just changes the whole dynamic. So part of what we're going to look at is a story of how to do this practically. Jesus pushes us beyond this mindset, and there's the reality. Jesus leaves no room for us to pick and choose who we want to love. We don't get to pick and choose those that deserve his love. We're called to be loved. 
And so he got in a conversation with someone, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 this morning, and someone asked that question, who's a neighbor? And so we're going to look at this text together, Luke 10, 25 to 37. It was one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Right now, that religious leader, he's testing Jesus because people liked to test Jesus because if they could get him to identify a statement, they would use that statement to call division and cause people to think, this guy is not reality. But Jesus, he did come with an agenda. He wanted to see us love one another. He wanted to see us go beyond the religious stereotypes and invite those that were outside inside. He wanted to let people know that they were loved by God. And man, that message needs to be heard now, doesn't it? And so this teacher tested them and says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So here we have a lawyer who wants to win the case of life, right? He wants to know, how do I win? How do I get eternal life after this life? He's not asking, how do I live now? For the sake of now, he's asking, how do I live now to get what I want later? He's very honest with this question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer recites a piece of the Shema. It's a daily prayer of those Jewish individuals who were devout, and they would say this acclamation all the time, and it was found in Deuteronomy 6.5, and then in Leviticus, it adds on the part of loving your neighbor. So Jesus is like, wow, that's good. You understand that this vertical relationship is essential. To love God is critical. But connected to it is loving others. In fact, how you love others shows your understanding of this. So he's like, yeah, you're, you're on to something there. But the man, he wanted to justify his actions. Excuse me, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? It's a big question for him. It's a good question for each of us. Who's my neighbor? Who am I called to love? Because this lawyer, he had a narrow vision of who he was compelled to love. The Jewish authority at that time was called the Sirach, and they would read in there, and it says that Jews were only obligated to love good, outstanding Jews in that society and culture. If they didn't smell like a Jew or look like a Jew or talk like a Jew, no need to love you. You're not like me. And so he wanted to justify himself and make sure he was just loving the people that were like him, that he could check the box and say, look how good I am. I'm loving these people that were just like me. But Jesus knew what he was after. He knew he was trying to ignore and categorize people as non-neighbors, people he didn't want to love. He knew he was arguing that some people are neighbors and some people are not. Some people deserve to be loved, others not so much. So Jesus, rather than just giving him a straight answer, decides to tell him a story. Jesus replied, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. The lawyer and all those in earshot knew this was a 17-mile journey full of treacheries and bad weather, and there were these caves that bandits could hide in, and they could come out and attack someone. And so they were very familiar with this territory. And Jesus said that's exactly what happened. He says, they stripped this man down of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead because of the road, beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. So there were two opportunities for this man to be saved, but neither opportunity was brought to life. They chose the other side of the road and to ignore what was happening, and they left him for dead. People have tried to explain why, like, you know, maybe they were just too busy. They had an important thing to attend to. Maybe... They were worried about being defiled if they touched a dead body, then that means they had, couldn't do religious duties. Jesus doesn't give clarity there, but we know that the law actually said that they needed to care for someone else. 
So let's not speculate as to why they didn't. Let's just know that they didn't. Two people you would expect to be good neighbors would meet this need, but they didn't. Jesus then tells the story, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He was moved to do something. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. This was quite a surprise for that lawyer to hear. He had this idea of what a neighbor was. Remember the question. He asked a simple question, who's my neighbor? And here Jesus is telling him this story about a man and you know these two priests that were good neighbors, weren't actually good neighbors at all. And here's this Samaritan, and he's finding himself just blown away by this. And Jesus asked him, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He despised that Samaritan so much he wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He said that one. That one over there. The one I would least expect. The lawyer who's known for specifics didn't want to acknowledge who the real neighbor was because of what was happening in his heart. He says, the one who had mercy on him. It's like pointing and saying, yeah, it was that one. Because you see, in his cultural religious system, he only needed to love a few folks. But Jesus was stretching his term of neighbor to include people not like him at all. People he would not choose to sit next to, people he would not eat with, people he would go to war with. Those are the people that were the neighbor. Jesus takes his initial question, who's my neighbor? And turns it to, how do you be neighborly? See, we want to pick and choose, who do I have to love, God? Who do I have to love? Who, do I, who deserves my attention? Who do I meet need, the needs of? But Jesus says, you got the focus all wrong. You're called to be the neighbor. You're called to be the one who goes and serves and helps and assists and does things that are so shocking that people won't believe that you're actually doing it. Mr. Rogers sings a song, right? Won't you be my could you be my, won't you be my neighbor? I'd sing it, but I can't. <laughs> now, that's kind of good. But the better song is, how can I be? Who should I be? Where should I be a neighbor? It's not about what's going on out there. It's about who am I supposed to be? Who's God calling me to be? So we're going to look at three questions. The first one is, who are you passing by? See, there's a difference between not seeing someone and then seeing them and passing them by. These priests, the Levi, they saw them. They just chose to pass them by. It's an intentional decision to walk by. Jesus is advocating. uh, Jesus gives an illustration of someone who had physical duress, and that's the need that was met. But don't get hung up. He's not asking us all to be ambulance drivers, looking for people that are dead. He wants us to look for people who have needs. And raise your hand if you don't have a need. We all have a need, right? We all have problems. And so Jesus is telling us to look around and see who has needs. And when we see those needs, not ignore those needs. Don't worry if someone deserves it or not. Remember Romans 5, 8, Paul says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. (laughs) Sinners is kind of this catch-all thing. So rather you think 
you know, Republicans or Democrats or vaxxers or anti-vaxxers or conspiracy theorists or anti-conspiracy theorists, they've your label there, sinner, encompasses that, right? Because Jesus came to us when we were beaten along the road and left for dead. And Jesus wants us to be Jesus to other people. We got to reject that cancel culture stuff and be about loving others and embracing kingdom culture. Do you remember that Samaritan woman at the well? It's found in John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Judea and returning to Galilee. And everyone's like, hey, let's take the long route. Let's not go through Samaria because, well, guess what's there? Samaritans, and we don't like them. So let's go around so we can ignore them. But Jesus is like, no, we've got to go through Samaria. The text actually says we have to go through Samaria. And what he did, something surprising. He sat and had a conversation that changed so much of that landscape. So many converts were coming out of that. But let me ask you, do you ever take the long route? You know, do you know which hallways to avoid at school? Do you know which cubicles to avoid at work? Which stations to walk around because you know who's there? <coughs> Maybe you do at church. I'm going to walk this way. I'm going to take this path. I'm going to go out the neighborhood and take a left instead of a right. Because I know what's over there. We all do that, right? Someone says, oh, this is easy. Follow them. <laughs> Just follow them. This is a challenge for all of us. None of us have this nailed down. So the question is, God, how do I see people as you would have me see it? And how do I choose not to pass by people that I want to pass by? The natural thing is to avoid. The God thing is to engage. And so, God, I'm not going to do that unless your spirit prompts me to do that, which means if I don't set up time to pray about, God, who do you want me to encounter today? I'm not going to do it because the flesh says, take the comfortable route. Take the easy route. You know, I went the other night to, uh, I told the, this morning's group this, I went to, um, Nathan had a cross-country meet, uh, a banquet, and you put an extrovert alone for 12 days, and I'm like stir-crazy, right? Like, I'm begging to talk to anybody. Like, if the mailman came up, I'm going to talk to him for 25 minutes if I was outside. <coughs> so I go to this banquet, and I walk in there, and Nate, he doesn't even give me a chance. He just takes off to his, the, the runner's table. He runs away from me, and I'm literally by myself, and I'm looking around like, Who's going to talk to me? Who's going to talk to me? Nobody. Nobody's going to talk to me. I know no one in that room. And I'm like, I just want to talk to somebody. <laughs> and then I'm like, nobody's even giving me a, like, I'm walking by. There's all these seats. No one's giving me the indicator. I should sit there. So I go and sit by myself. Maybe somebody will come to me. Nope. Nobody came to me. So I'm like, well, I'm going to get up and walk over here. I didn't know anyone. I sit at the cafeteria tables are here. They're facing the front. I sit on this side of the table. People are sitting here facing this way. I sit down. The people here don't even turn around and make eye contact with me. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm really lonely. I was at a meeting earlier that day that I saw someone that I knew. And I was like, they just walked in the door. They're going to talk to me. I went like this. They're like, <laughs> and just ran to somebody else they knew. I'm like, this is the loneliest I have ever been. And um, it came time to get in lunch after 20 minutes. I'm sitting by myself. I go up and I get in line and then I can talk to somebody because, you know, they're standing next to me and they're kind of a captive audience. So I'm like, hey, did your son run? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of why I'm at the banquet. So then I got a chance to meet someone and got a chance to connect with them a little bit. And then I sat down at the table and then they had to turn around and face me. And we got in a lovely conversation for seven minutes. But here's the point. Do you see people? Because it might not just be about helping someone in their medical issues. It might actually be sitting down and just talking to someone, letting them feel seen. There's nothing worse than wanting to talk to somebody and you're sitting alone for 20 minutes. It's a lonely feeling. 
And so we might think we're doing great things by waving at someone, and not everyone wants to talk to people, right? Like some people, it's like, that's the best 20 minutes of my day because I don't have somebody on me. That's not my case, so let somebody decide for you. If someone said, you want to sit with me? I'd say, yeah, <laughs> and I would add lots of words for them to hear. Let's be a neighbor. Let's look for people who need it because they're there. The second thing, if we want to be a neighbor, we have to ask ourselves, do I have any margin? How can you create margin? You know, for this Samaritan to actually meet that need, he had to have a couple things. He had to have some time and resources set aside that he could spare, correct? Think about what he did. He didn't just say, hey, you look sick. Hope you get better and keep walking. He did lots of things. He goes to him. He bandages him. He pours oil and wine on his wounds to heal him. He puts him on his donkey and walks beside his donkey. He takes him to the inn. He stays with him and stays the night there to take care of him. And the next day, he leaves money enough, two silver coins, that would allow lodging for two weeks. And then he goes on to say, hey, keep the tab running and I'll come back and pay the tab. He doesn't stay with him for two weeks. He doesn't, you know, overdo it. He does enough. He does what he could do in that moment. And so he had a little extra to help others. It makes me think, if I'm going to be a good neighbor, do I have enough margin? Have I intentionally carved out a little bit of extra time to help someone in need or be available? You know, you might think service starts at 10 o'clock. You can get here at 940. We pray for the service. You can get here at 10 till and walk around and just talk to a few folks. You don't have to leave right at 11. You might have to, but it might be nice for you to set aside an extra 15 minutes to be available. What time does your work shift start? What if you showed up 10 minutes early? checked in on someone? What if instead of scheduling back-to-back meetings, you're allowed to hang out at that meeting a little extra before your next meeting so that you maybe just take some time to yourself, but maybe you look around and see if someone has a need and you engage in that conversation a little bit more? What if you notice a coworker never goes to lunch with you? And maybe it's a financial issue. What if you're like, well, I can't buy your lunch every week, but I could do it once a month. You want to come eat with us today? I'd love to cover that for you. Is there any money that you could set aside to do it? Not to do everything, but to do some things. Have you thought about that? Do I have the margin set aside that I could use to invest in someone, to be Jesus to someone else? It's good to do that proactively so that you're not just wishing you had it. But what if you intentionally said, God, here's some extra resources I'm setting aside to be used. In his book, Givers and Takers, no, Give and Take, Adam Grant, he wrote a story about, regardless of the industry, there are people at each workforce doesn't matter if it's a farming community or a, a um, factory environment or an education environment. He identified there's three kinds of people at work. The first are takers. Takers run around and they look at anybody they can take advantage of, ask for people to do them favors, and they just take, 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 take. And they usually do pretty well in an organization, but there's never two takers because they hate each other, they tell on each other, <laughs> and they see each other as enemies. And then there's a whole group of people called matchers. And matchers, they never want to ask for a favor because the worst thing in their mind is owing someone something, right? Majority of workforce people are matchers. They don't like to ask someone for a favor because they immediately feel like they owe someone something. So they'll have a couple people that they'll return favors with at work. But then there's a third set of people called givers. And givers just give. And he looked at how does this affect productivity at the workforce? And what he found was givers are at the bottom performers in a company. Because so many givers, they just don't know how to stop giving. They just get taken advantage of. Takers take and take and take. And their boss will come to them like, why didn't you get your stuff done? Well, I was helping so-and-so. Well, that's not your job. Like, but I felt like I had to. Well, they just took and took and took. Givers without boundaries just get eaten for lunch. 
But guess who did the best of the organizations? Givers. Givers were also at the top. So you almost take that whole slither of givers, and half of them were at the top and half were at the bottom. And what had happened was givers who learned how to give, which he called five-minute gives, did fantastic. Because rather than being all-encompassed and having to be the person who saves anything, they're just like, hey, let me give you a hand for a minute. Let me give you an idea. Let me give you a thought. Let me give you a resource. Let me give you a contact. And it was just a beautiful thing that he had happen. And so it was really cool to see how this plays out. But think about how God could use that. What would happen if you became a giver and weren't worried about not having the resources or enough time? Like, what if they just take and take and take and take? Well, that, you have somebody who's really good at boundaries can help you figure that out. But what if you were known as the person who gave? What would that do for Jesus? We give not to get a good name for ourselves, but we want God to see that ex- love expressed. And here's my third question. If not you, who? Who's God have at your workspace? Who does God have in your school? Who does God have in your position? Who does God have in your neighborhood to be him to others? I'll give you a hint. It's you. <laughs> Look in the mirror. It's you. If not you, who? The person you're praying for to come make a difference in your workforce, guess what? It's you. It's God working through you. It's not in your own strength. You don't like anybody, and God knows that. He needs you to love them. <laughs> He's going to empower you to love him. You're not going to do this on your own. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And that's what God needs you for. Commit to being used by God to love everyone. The message of love needs to go out. I'll tell you a secret. This church experience was started in 2019. New Beginnings, you've been around for a while. And you remember what it was like before 2020, right? You used to invite people and they'd come. (laughs) You used to send out a mailer and people were excited that there's a new church in the area. Now people are a little skeptical of church. Love is now a commodity that you can use to manipulate people, right? Come take something for free. Why? Oh, because we want to use you. Those days of church planning are over. People want sincerity. People want love. People want something to be true, something to be real. People aren't just coming for a nice cup of coffee and good music and a good sermon and and smiling faces. They want to see love, and they want to see it sincere, and they want to see it something that's true. I looked at Andy Stanley. uh, He gave this little talk, and he says, here's what we want people to do. We want them to know we're here, we want people to be glad we're here, and we want people to be better off because we're here. There's something pretty cool that we don't get anything because we have all to send socks to Ukraine directly, right? But it does something in our hearts to know that someone can put on a pair of socks and just say a thank you prayer, like, thank you for these free socks. We're going to be collecting gifts for children in the area. Not why, to get a name for ourselves? No, not manipulative, just because a kid deserves a gift because he's loved by God. And if we can come along with someone and help them do that, we're going to do that as a community. But so, those three things, to know we're here, to be glad we're here, and be better off because we're here, would your coworkers say that about you? Because they need to. Would your friends say that? Would your neighbors say that? Would your school say that? Would the people around you be glad that you're here? Would they be better off because you're there? Because if not, who? If not, you who? You are who God wants to make that place and that difference. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. He says, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with some people, with people like me. No, 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 no. He says, I try to find common ground with everyone. Because the world wants you to believe that person who doesn't think like you or act like you or vote like you is nothing like you. But guess what? There are more things that you in common 
then we could say, we have so many of the same fears, we have so many of the same worries, and love is the bridge that will bind us together. And he says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. I want to leave you with a little farming story from my dad. My dad's a farmer. He has about 40 to 60 head of cattle. My mic out? Okay. Um, is this one good? All right. I'll leave you with a, a farming story. My dad, he has about 40 to 60 head of cattle, depending on the time of year. And what he'll do is he'll go into that field and he'll get in his truck and he drives around the entire herd. Right? He just looks around him. He's looking for two major things. He's looking for pink eye if they have runny eyes. And then he also looks to see if they're walking okay because hoof problems are normal. And the longer he looks at that herd, the more he can kind of tell what's going on with them if they have something that needs more attention. And then after he assesses that the herd is fine, he usually has a couple years of corn in his truck. He'll go to the cows in particular that he likes and he'll break them off in ear of corn and he'll feed them and then pet them and just enjoy these cows because that's why he does it because he enjoys the cattle. But there's a mindset there. He doesn't just enter that field and go right to his favorites, right? He has a responsibility. He has a burden to care for that entire flock. I want you to think about those three points through that little lens of my dad being a farmer. God has you in a field for a reason. If not who, it's you. And I'm guessing that you have a pretty good pattern. Like, I wish I would have had it, that running thing. I wish I could have saw someone and beelined it for that individual where I could sit at that table, and then it would just be me and this person, and we would just have a good conversation. I would enjoy the next two hours, and I would go home. You might do that here. You just come into service. You see someone you like. You beeline right to them, and you just sit down, and you have a good conversation. But maybe we need to be the kind of community that walks into a space, and we look around, and we see if anybody's hurting. Maybe you walk into your classroom, and before you sit down at your desk or before you run to your favorite person that you love, you just sit and look around and just assess the situation, what's going on. And maybe you say a breath prayer, Jesus, I'm scared right now, but I see that person's hurting. Maybe I need to see him a little closer and have a word with him. What would happen if you did that? Because if not you, then who? What's God calling you to do in the space that you're in? I guarantee it's probably more than you're comfortable with. And so we need to ask Jesus, Jesus, how do I love someone that in my gut says is an enemy? But you're calling me to love them because it's normal for me to just go where I'm comfortable. And I want to do something supernatural. And what will happen is people will know that we have a God who actually is loving, a God who is actually kind. And we'll see people come to know who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the gift of being able to come into a space where we can be friends. We can find encouragement. We can find love. But God, if there's someone here that does feel lonely, I pray they'll take the step of sharing that. God, maybe they definitely get someone to smile and wave at them, but they just long for a conversation. And so God, let us be a community that is willing to meet people in that space. Uh, God, uh, Help us to be used and be your hands and feet wherever we find ourselves tomorrow, whether it's at Wawa or we're at uh, a meeting. That God will create some extra margin. We'll arrive a little early and we'll have some time to hang out a little late to do what's most important work, which is caring for others, loving others. So God, we're not going to do this without the prompting of your spirit. We're not going to do this without the empowerment of your spirit. Just show us that love. Let us receive that love so we'll extend that love. Thank you for the gift of today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know Him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.